Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. It's another week. Great guests coming up. We'll tell you about that in just a little bit. Basketball is in the air, Ralph. This is, a, this is a great time of year because you really, and I know the NCAA tournament is not going to look normal, feel normal, but then I think once the play, teams start to play, maybe it'll start to feel a little normal. Let's hope so. But this is the time of year you start to look at who's in and who's out, right? Yeah, you, you start to see, you know, the rankings and who's ranked where. If your ranking is really solid enough for this year, you have a loss, you know, uh, like, you know, Virginia's had a recent loss as well, that maybe 13-7 in the country, wherever they are, then they have a really a bad loss where they put them in the top 16 or not. We'll see when it comes up. But, you know, like football is over now. So it's all <laughs> basketball. Yeah. It's all college basketball. NBA is still doing its thing. They don't come into effect until April. So right now it's a sweet part of the year for us basketball fans because it's called March Madness is coming up. The conference tournaments are coming up, end of the season. Teams are gelling right now, supposedly. But, you know, one thing I think everybody's now getting used to around the country is, the, is, is not having fans there. I mean, it's the excitement of the fans. But you see game now, and you kind of gotten used to it because that's what we've seen, right? So I think people have made adjustment. I think the coaches have made adjustment. The players have made adjustment. So I think the NCAA March Madness will be exciting. Maybe not as it used to be, but I think it'll be exciting this year to see who wins. So many frustrations, I think, on behalf of coaches. And I can't help but think of Mike Young, the head coach of Virginia Tech, team playing well. Florida State and Louisville were on the schedule. Carolina was on the schedule. Uh, they're going to get one in, I guess, uh, Saturday, but because uh, they're going to be at Florida State. But as far as you know, they haven't played you know, in, a, in a full like two weeks, you know, trying to get. So it it has been crazy for a lot. And think about like Duke, 
Duke is only seven and six. Carolina's fight. I mean, when was the last time Carolina and Duke were and on Kentucky. the bubble? We're on and the Kentucky. bubble. On the bubble. I mean, I think those three schools have been at least 20, 20 plus, 25 years since they've been in the top 25. I mean, it's kind of crazy. And then they think back, the guy at Duke that just walked away from the school and the team. Yeah, Jalen Johnson, that's it. Time out. I'm done. I mean, I, I mean I, I've never seen that. I've yeah. never seen a kid just walk away from his college career like I'm done because he thinks he's going to go to an NBA or next level. That's kind of weird. I mean, obviously this season is weird in, in the first place, so I guess we should expect anything. He was he was injured, uh, Jalen Johnson. He had 19 and 19 against Coppin State, like his first game, and they thought he was the second coming. And then, you know, he got injured, missed three games, tries to come back, and then just says, that's it. I'm sure, you know, he's, he's going to shut it down. Mac, Mac you could have got 19 and 19 at Coppin State. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you could have got you could have got 19 points, maybe not 19 rebounds, but Coppin State. Maybe, come but on. I'm gonna Duke, have to... Duke, somebody at Duke should get 19 and 19 with Coppin State. But in getting back to the ACC and the ACC tournament, I know you've talked to a lot of people about who's going to go. How many people will be able to attend the ACC tournament? I'm guessing they will let some people uh, go to the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still the numbers. I mean, each team might be able to have depending upon the school. I mean, a couple hundred people go. I mean, you're playing in, you know. In, in in the arena down there in Indianapolis, but uh, I think that jury's still out. Uh, how many tickets will go? I think it'd be also based on how many how many which schools come with the power. You don't have the Kentucky that's bringing half the arena anymore. You know the Carolinas are bringing all the fans. You have now a little smaller schools maybe who will be in the NCAA Final Four. But it's gonna be interesting to see how they do it. And I think the jury's still out as far as what's going to happen. Yeah, and uh, the last word before we go to break and introduce our guest, the last word was that six Atlantic Coast Conference teams were going to make the NCAA tournament. If you were to look at it today, Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Louisville, Clemson, but then Carolina, Syracuse, Duke, all yeah, right bubble. there on the bubble, Georgia Tech, maybe uh, trying to make a push as well. But where there's a lot of work to be done by a lot of ACC teams, are they going to be in the three-letter well, if you if you were the committee, do you let Kashevsky and Roy Williams in because of their history of the game? I mean, not to make the NCAA tournament in their career at this point. Do you let them in just because of their and credentials? COVID, well, that you bring up a good point. Does COVID because Carolina lost three home games? So do you allow? Do you say okay? And they played Northeastern the other night. So okay, Roy, we're sorry you didn't have three games, but I tell you what, you're what thirteen and seven now or whatever. Yeah, we'll we'll get you in. Well, we'll get you in just to give you a game. You might be out the first round anyway, but we'll get you a game. It's the Winter Circle Network Center Court. When we come back, uh, just a really really interesting guest. We're looking forward to talking with Dale Caldwell. We'll tell you all about the doctor when we return. This is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. 
educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. It's Senate Court with Ralph Sampson, and our guest is Dr. Dale G. Caldwell, professor and the executive director of the Rothman Institute of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Ralph, a very high IQ guy. Well, hey, Mac, to say at least his IQ and ours put together doesn't even match. Going to, Princeton, going to Princeton, Princeton and Warden and all those schools. I, I, Doc, I don't know how you did all that with, uh, you know, growing up and then you know, a little sports in your background as well. And obviously you mentioned earlier before we started, congratulations on your induction to the Hall of Fame. But tell us about that ride, because academics is, it, you know, I went to Virginia and graduated, but I can't compete with you there. Well, you no, you could, because you were a scholarly athlete. You, you presented well and you did that. It's, you know, but my parents valued education. And so my dad, you know, as we'll talk about new in March with Dr. King, and they wanted to make sure that you know, a black person had an opportunity to do things that he didn't. So he actually applied to Duke Divinity School. They're from Greensboro, North Carolina. And they, they basically said, you're qualified, but we don't take black folk in the Divinity yeah. School. And so he went up to BU and he actually where he met Dr. King. And so they made sure. So going to, you know, Princeton undergrad in economics and then MBA in finance from Wharton and then a doctorate from Seton Hall. Um, but my education has been really, really in the community, really trying to, to use that to make a difference. And that's my passion. Wow, well, that's a great, great passion to have. So you mentioned community. What do you see in the community that made you have that passion? I mean, what, what were the triggers for you when you when you say that, that it's about the community? Well, well growing up around the so, so my dad was a, a foot soldier. He, he marched, you know, he marched in Selma and, you know, marched on Washington. And so I grew around that. So I was, you know, cared about those of us who don't have a voice. And then, and uh, I had a chance to be in education. I was head of a school in Trenton, New Jersey. And I saw that many of our kids had what looked like post-traumatic stress disorder, but it wasn't post. And so I coined a term called urban traumatic stress disorder. And, and, and what it does is it affects the amygdala part of your brain. So it has nothing to do with how smart you are, but you get, you get, you react. And that's when you see kids who are killing and doing things. And so part of things like mindfulness and meditation really help. And so then I started to look at the challenges of the community and start to realize that entrepreneurship is the fuel that drives the money and then kind of trauma-informed job training can create jobs. So we're really trying to create this thing called entrepreneur zones. I, I sent an article that was in this group of nations magazine that our mutual friend, Glenn, Glenn Best helped. And so the whole idea is to really try to help entrepreneurship fuel the local community while you're helping to educate folks. And then we can start to make these communities vibrant. Well, that's a great concept there for sure. Cause I know in my community in Harrisonburg, there's people that have access to different types of entrepreneurial, you have the, the trade schools and this, that other, but they want to do something, but they don't know how to do it, right? right? So there's no vehicle out there for them to understand, how do I grow my own business except for hard knocks? And then I fail a couple of times and they get a little bit depressed, then they got to pay bills and they have a kid and they got you know, kind of a cycle at that point in time. So I appreciate your your influence on the community on that part for sure. Absolutely. And then one of the things is there's a brother from MIT, Got him, Andrew Frazier, who's developed an, an a you know an online learning program for entrepreneurs, so yeah. to really help them get through from from starting a startup to scale up. So the technology is there to really help folks, as you said, are frustrated, but there's a real way to empower the community, and I just feel that to be a calling to really make a, make a difference. 
Do you think that's because of access to information that they may not know those programs are out there? How do we get that information out there to these communities that something like that exists? Well, it's, it's access, but it's also belief. Okay. I mean, again, you know, somebody, you know, like a Ralph Sampson got folks to believe we could be basketball players, but they don't know about the history of entrepreneurs in the black community, that there's so many incredible entrepreneurs who made a lot of money. And so part of the reason that we founded the Black Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame is to really create that idea that, you know, we can be anything we want to be, whether we're black, white, yellow, green. And so that is really part of this incentive because a lot of folks don't really believe that they can be whoever they want to be. Huh. He is Dr. So, Dale Caldwell, a professor and executive director of the Rothman Institute of Innovation and Entrepreneurship in the Silberman College of Business at Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, this, as I said, the list is long. His resume is long. Uh, Ralph, I'm going to brag. He, he founded the Black Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame, the Black Inventors Hall of Fame, and the Black Tennis Hall of Fame as well. So he has done a couple of things. And, and Ralph, I think I would ask Dr. Caldwell that, to start a business, to be an entrepreneur is not easy and can be scary. How do we relieve those tensions of, of trying to start our own business? And, and that's part of this idea of, a, of an entrepreneur zone that, that so often I, you know, we talk about a safety net and, and the, the trouble with the safety net is it catches people. I'm really talking about a safety trampoline. And I think if we have the mindset to really kind of bounce people back into society, and so if you have these entrepreneur zones, what you do is you really help to support people and guide them along the way and help them when they feel discouraged, but also using state tax credits to incentivize investments into those communities. And so if you can start getting external money, because Mac and, and Ralph, the reality is because of the pandemic, governments don't have the money that they need to turn them around. Mm. So the only way to do that, and yet we have a, a big divide in this country that folks in the stock market have done incredibly well. Folks not in the stock market are struggling. And so if we can create ways that make that incentivize investment from those that have benefited from the stock market to invest in these communities, not necessarily for a return, but if the tax credits are big enough, then they can start putting money in these communities and you can start to revitalize them. And that's really the, the, the magic behind this entrepreneur zone idea. Wow. Is there an example of a city that has these entrepreneur zones and anyone that's working well? Well, we're actually going to history. So one of the things that Glenn Best, who's the executive director of the Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame and the others we're doing is on May 30th, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know about the, the, the 1921 race massacre in Tulsa, uh, Tulsa Oklahoma. And, and that was a model that during Plessy versus Ferguson, when segregation was the law of the land, black folk didn't have a choice but to support each other. And this community became the wealthiest black community in the country. So wealthy, it was called Black Wall Street. Well, you know, a lot of folks who were, were racist and even some of the government actually were jealous of that and they bombed and attacked it. And so I'm saying that's a horrible part of American history. You know, let's remember the victims, but let's use that as a model going forward that entrepreneurship created this environment. They were so wealthy during segregation that seven of the households actually had planes. In the no, middle I'm, of segregation, I'm, seven I'm, black households had planes. So that was an entrepreneur zone. So we're saying, why don't we create that and learn from history and really try to incentivize that so that we have long-term sustainable. One of my passions, I, I just, systemic poverty to me is just, it doesn't make sense in America. Because at the end of the day, even if you don't care about poor people, if poor people can pay their bills, everybody gets richer. There's no reason right. to have it. And so we're trying to incentivize people to say, and it's not about welfare dollars as much as it is about supporting the growth of businesses. 
Yeah, so, so doc, Dr. Caldwell, how do you then get this message out there and how can you make sure this movement continues to, to go forward and be a very positive step? Well, well, you know, one of the things this, this week happened that, that is amazing as a, as a, as a private system, citizen, a non-elected citizen, I had this idea for entrepreneurism. We convinced the governor and the legislature to put it into legislation which was approved. And now they're having an entrepreneur zone working group that I'm going to chair. How often do you come up with an idea? <laughs> and, you chair, right? and, so, uh, and you're not an elected politician. So the idea is that I'm chairing this group. And so they're going to allocate state tax dollars to support those businesses. So it becomes a model for the nation. So in, in Virginia and in Florida and, and Maryland, we can begin to do those things. And the other secret is there's no other option. There's really nothing else that government can do to really help these communities other than support businesses that are there. Because the big companies, Google's not going to go into to Harlem to hire massive groups of people. So it has to be community-based, and that's what, what people want. Do you uh, see in, in, in these lower-lying communities, especially in the African-American market, because I see a divide in that market, right? So I, I get calls after call to call these days about, especially air properly. We have a farm in, in this area as well. So we have our airs fighting against each other. So it's really the one of the black on black, not respecting each other and not working together in my mind as well. I always tell people all the time, can you imagine a Michael Jordan and a Maddie Johnson ever working together? Everyone, instead of, instead of, I'm on my side of the street, you on your side of the street. I got my brain, you got yours. So we're going to compete the rest of our life instead of band together. So I don't know if you see that, but I see that very clearly in the market that I, and I live in, or at least out and about in as well. Well, I lived it because my, my family had to land in Greensboro, North Carolina. So for 40 years, we were fighting whether to sell it and, and, and not sell it. And, and that's, part of, that's part of an existence of kind of the, you know, the challenges of, 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 of being Black in America. It's just you're dealing with the slavery, dealing with other things that impacts that. And so part of this idea, but, but in the black community, entrepreneurship rules that right. there's an entrepreneurial mindset and, and, you know, black folk played a significant role in electing Joe Biden. And so I think that the Biden administration, probably one of the, the democratic administrations, will be so more focused on entrepreneurship than anybody else, because one, it's the answer, but two, those communities say, empower us so that we can have our own destiny. And again, we have to deal with this trauma informed with some trauma and so some of that trauma is there's only a nut for, for, for you or me. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight you when in reality, there's a big pie for everybody. And we just have to, we need folks like the two of you celebrities to really begin to start talking about, let's work together. Let's create businesses together. And the other thing we're trying to do in these zones is what we call co-opetition. And so the idea is that you have more collaboration in the zones where you have, say you have a graphic designer, that graphic designer can support everybody there. Say you have, and so you start to work together, even though you have a different business and that mindset. Now, things like Etsy, and then hopefully some others are small business type Amazons. Mm -hmm. So if you start really selling there and people start supporting, but the reality is if people of all races and backgrounds, but the black community, if it pulled its money, it'd be the 10th largest, 10th largest country in the world. So if they supported some of these businesses, even a small percentage, you can begin to, to really end poverty. And it's in everybody's best interest to do that. Dr. Dale Caldwell, professor and the executive director of the Rothman Institute, uh, Silberman College of Business at Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, he's a host of a TV show and he's got a book, uh, Intelligent Influence, The Four Steps of Highly 
successful leaders and organizations, Ralph, which we will get into. Um, your father, and 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 then we've got to tell the story. So your father marched with Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King. That's correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as, as I said, one of my favorite pictures is a picture of my dad, Ralph Abernathy, and Dr. King, and another one of my dad marching right next to Dr. King. So he met him. They both were at BU. Dr. King had graduated before him, but they connected that way. And so so I grew up and my dad unfortunately passed away in, in September, but, um, but, you, but you learn a lot in that and, and we've got to carry on that legacy. And one of the things that I say, and so I'm talking a lot about entrepreneur zones and stuff is that the March on Washington was for jobs and freedom. People don't realize that, that was what Dr. King called it. And so the reality is Dr. King knew that jobs was the key, as much a key to economic and, and racial harmony as anything else. Well, and, and so I think that if he were alive today, he would be promoting this idea of, of, of entrepreneurship in the community and, and growing that and creating local jobs. And so I think, you know, this is kind of a legacy to my dad. And, um, you know, he was in Selma and so on. And so it's just amazing. He had amazing stories of, of that time in history. So you were seven and seven or eight years old at that time. Or, you know, or going through it. Were you absorbing that information? Was your father communicating to you about the mission of Dr. King? Well, it, and one of the things that I'll talk about it when I talk about my book, Intelligent Influence, because it's related, huh? we're all products of our influence and we're influenced without even knowing it. So my dad would talk about it and I didn't even think about it when I was younger, but it, it, it became part of who I am. And, and really being a voice for the voiceless is, is my calling. Yeah, I, I went to some fancy schools and I paid a lot of money for school, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm using that to be a voice for the voiceless because I realize what the, you know, the, those who have privilege have and, and privilege of all, you know, and that, and that, that you, you realize that the difference between the folks from the community and the folks from, you know, the wealthy areas are, aren't that big and that the intellectual capabilities aren't that different. And so you realize there's an untapped as a country. I love America. And, and as a country, we have so many untapped resources that we could use that we don't necessarily even understand. And so part of the deal with the Halls of Fame mm -hmm. is to let people know that there are some brilliant people. So I'll give you one. And so Onesimus, this guy Onesimus was a slave in Massachusetts. He came up with the process to eliminate uh, smallpox. And the process was that in Africa, they used to take a disease and inject it in the blood so you develop antibodies for it. They never did that to, in America until a black slave told them to do that. Yeah. And it eradicated the, so, so nobody knows that a black slave is, you know, as we're sitting here with this pandemic, you know, and so there are all these stories and you start to realize, in the, and I learned it when I did the Tennis Hall of Fame, is that people don't know that tennis has been in the community for more than 100 years. And, the, you know, the doctors and the lawyers and the, mm -hmm. and the professors in the black community played tennis. You know, a lot of other people played baseball, but tennis was very much in the community. People think it started with Serena and Venus. No. <laughs> Definitely tennis goes way, way back. I know some uh, my, my uncles played baseball a little bit as well. And I, I love baseball before I love basketball. So I understand mm -hmm. the, the, the leagues that they played in, the, 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 the grassroots leagues and, the, you know, the popcorn leagues or whatever you call them. They, they, they played in all those leagues. You would go there and sit there and watch them. and That would be the best time of your young career as well. So I definitely appreciate that statement. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, and, and then my book. So this book, Intelligent Influence. And so one of the things that I realized, I was writing this book on, I was going to write a book on leadership. And, and there are a million books on leadership. I thought I had a, a, one of the best. And I, and I looked up Webster's definitions of leadership, command, and authority. 
And mm -hmm. I found the word influence was in each one of those. And so I went to study this word influence and I discovered that it's hidden in plain sight. They'll say, she's influential, he's influential. What does it mean? Do they have more social media followers? Are they smarter? Are they better looking or whatever? But you start to realize that we do what we do, think the way we think and accomplish what we accomplish because of influence. And the example I use are, are English accents. That so you could be born in London or Birmingham or Sydney, Australia or Johannesburg and you develop a different kind of English accent. Think about all our other influences, our favorite sports, our culture, our religion, you know, all those things are influenced. And the other thing, the research shows that our musical tastes are developed between ages 14 and 24. Doesn't mean we don't like other stuff, but those, that's when we first fall in love and our brain's developing. So there's certain songs that we can play now that'll bring you back. So that's part of this whole idea of influence is that people, you know, no matter what they view or what their politics are, are part of influence. And if you understand that and you understand your own influences, you can actually work with people and bring people together. And, yeah. and, and one of the mistakes is this idea of the self-made man or woman. And that this, I did it myself. I, nobody helped me. No human beings ever done it alone. As great as some people are, there's always people along the way. So we've got to move away from that. I think as part of the public policy, we say, okay, well, look, the one black kid from, from Harrison, you know, um, made it. Everybody else should do it. But they don't realize the influences that helped. And so part of this whole process is to get people to understand that the right kind of influences are the key to success of individuals and communities. Yeah. You always say back in the, you know, when I played in the small town of Harrisburg, it was people that influenced your life mm -hmm. as your high school coach or a teacher. And you're like, okay, I have cousins and people, we lived in the same neighborhood with the same upbringing, whatever, but something, something that someone said maybe influenced me a different way than influence someone else as well. So I appreciate that. But you know, today that word influence, right? It's like all the social media, now I'm an influencer. So it's a little bit, it's changed a little bit right. that I can, but the, the, the idea is the same what you're saying, because I can take something and say, okay, great, because I got so many likes and followers on social media, I am an influencer. So right. you've seen the evolution of a change a little bit, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, you've always been an influencer. So, I mean, that, you know, that's uh, now social media, not before social media. And so, but there's a book called The Other West Moore, that, that this guy Wes Moore wrote, who's, uh, I think he's in, in charge of the Robin Hood Foundation. And his story is about Baltimore. And so he won a Rhodes Scholarship. And there's another Wes Moore who was in prison. And so he tracks the different influences in their life. One's a Rhodes Scholar, the other is, uh, is, is in prison. And so you start to see that. And, and we've got to believe in people. We've got to believe in poor communities that they can, they can rise. And that's good for everybody. It's good for America. It's good for the world. Doctor, are coaches some of the best influencers we've ever seen? I mean, the coaches just have that mantra, that personality. Yeah. And, and, you know, the coaches, you know, coaches are key. You know, my tennis coach was my eighth grade math teacher. I love math. He was my, you know, high school tennis coach. He's very spiritual. So uh, one of the, I'm big in spiritual, mental and physical, mm -hmm. you know, the coaches play a role, you know, especially with, 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 with boys or girls that play sports. That coach is so important, the right coach, but the wrong coach can be bad too. So influence isn't always positive. It can be very much, very negative influence. And some people respond to that tough coach yelling and screaming at you. Others want the supportive coach. And the good coaches can be the right way to different people. Well, and that whole scenario is saying, so I take that whole AAU basketball world, right? But basketball world, period, used to have that high school coach that was your teacher. You saw him in the hallways. If you got out of line, the coach was going to say, hey, I'm going to run you in practice. So you, you had that core back in those days, right? Yep. That you had that. Now that the AAU teams, for us, you got 
fathers, everybody's coaching for the wrong reasons. Right. We right. don't have the tutoring and the tutors to get that player over. So I see that what you're saying in that in that market as well. But you also have something called the four steps of highly successful people. So what are those steps that you know we can give people today? What are, what are those things that you see that a coach or anybody else can use to be successful? I love how you guys do research. I love it. You guys are good. <laughs> you know, Matt, Matt, you and Ralph are, are really good. So, so the four steps are, the first one is influence awareness. And so the whole idea is that, that you need to understand your own influences and be very honest about the influences, good and bad. And so that really helps you understand yourself because you can't influence other people until you understand your own influences. So that's called influence awareness. The second is influence impact. And what you want to do is understand how those influences impact what you're doing. So if you're shy and reserved, understand that those influences may, may have made you shy or reserved or you're a yeller or a screamer or whatever. The third is influence management. Once you understand your own influences, you understand how you've been influenced, you develop a plan to, to, to work against it. Sometimes if you're, you're shy, you get a coach. You get an executive coach to work you through that or a sports coach to work you through those weaknesses. I mean, it applies very much to, to sports and you develop a plan. And the third is called influence maximization. Once you've done all that, there are three elements that are critical to every human relationship. And it doesn't matter whether it's work or your, your, your spouse or is one is credibility, that you have to be credible. One of the reasons that when someone speaks, you talk about their expertise is you give them credibility, but that's not enough. The second is creativity. You've got to be interesting. You've got to get in their mind's eye. And the third is connection, that you have to connect with their influences. And you can't connect with their influences unless you connect with your own influences. And so credibility, creativity, and connection, when you don't have a connection, when you don't have influence, one of those is missing. Uh, doctor, we were talking about the, you know, the influencers. And during the break, you mentioned Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, which to me is a real study. And okay, uh, Coach Arians said, Brady's going to lead and he'll be the influencer. And, I, and I'm going to let you analyze this more than me, but I'm guessing that <laughs> a lot of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers followed the influence of Tom Brady. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. And in fact, I was, I was just reading a story about how he influenced the young players, you know, so incredibly. And, 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 you know, and that, that idea of, of, of really, Again, he had credibility. And, and you know, if, if you forget anything else I say, this idea of credibility, creativity, and connection. And so that credibility is not enough. But that says a lot about Brady that he had the creativity to really be interesting. He said he obviously knows the game back and forth, but he somehow connected with the influences of the young people. And, and the coach, who I like because he's, you know, the oldest coach to win. So I was rooting for the old guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I want the old, I have a 17 year old daughter. So, you know, <laughs> old guy, old team wins. And I, and, and, you know, so they really brought together some, some guys who were former superstars past their prime, but it's all about influence. And, and really what I say is nothing exists except influence. And so when you start to think about the reality of what you believe, you've been influenced to believe that. And so that's an important component that in sports or in business, you've got to remember. Yeah, because you can see, we had a show here with some, some people that know Tom and see his football, but when he would go to the sideline, he's not going over and joking around. Right. He's going to the sideline with the iPad in his hand, looking, whatever. So he led the charge, not only on the field, but off the field as well by his actions. So you can do it. Some people do it verbally. Some people do it by your actions. So depending on how you can influence people by your ability to do that. Well, well but, but also the great ones like yourself and, and, 
and it's interesting. You, you saw he, he kind of, the, the trophy wasn't, he didn't care about the trophy. Now, again, he's had a whole bunch of them. It's the process. <laughs> right. It's the process that you, and you remember, like you, you love the process and, and you, you get passionate about that process and you influence people along the process. A lot of people are too focused. They're thinking about like in tennis. So I, you know, I used to play a lot of tennis. And so if you think you're going to double fault, you're going to double fault. So you, 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 can't, you can't be thinking too far ahead. You've got to focus on the seven seconds that we back was talking about, you know, that being the present. And doctor, these people, and again, Tiger Woods is an example, I'm guessing. And, and you can, but I mean, he, he did things his way and changed the game because he was working out, refining his body. He influenced the entire PGA Tour. We're not going to beat him unless we do what he does. Again, am I on the right track with that? I mean, Tiger was a was a fabulous influencer. Well, well, absolutely. And, and again, you look at Venus and Serena. Yeah. Serena, you know, they were hitting the ball harder. And then all of a sudden, folks got up. And you know the old story of the four-minute mile. They couldn't break the four-minute mile. They couldn't break the four-minute mile. You know, you know, it was a banneker broke the four-minute mile. Then three other people did it within a month. Mm-hmm. And that so much of our limitation is up here. And it applies in sports. And I love sports because it's a microcosm of the real world. But what I'm trying to do is take sports and put it in the real world that that think about, and this is the idea of the entrepreneur zone, and that that the entrepreneur zone is becomes your team and your community. You know how we fight for our teams in sports. Imagine if you and, and by having a place-based focus, you start saying, My team is in Tulsa, you know, in, in Greenwood section. Let's make this. And so you start to create that unification within a local community. You start getting people to support the businesses, to, to help to create jobs, to end poverty. And that's what we're trying to do is create these entrepreneur zone teams around the world. Yeah, that's interesting to see because, you know, you know I, I can see that happening in my small towns and big cities. It, you know, we talk about the zone that you may be in as an athlete. I'm in that zone and I got everything moving and I don't want to get out of the zone. I want to wear the same pants, the same underwear, the same socks, the same shoes because I don't want to come out of that zone. So I, I, I do understand that really well. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. I know you do. And, and, and so, Dr. Who influenced you to run three marathons in a triathlon? <laughs> yeah, um, well, I, I uh, you know, I like challenges. So I grew up playing tennis and I, you know, I got nationally ranked in tennis. And then, you know, after a while, you know, you, uh, you're not going to go pro. Then yeah, I said, let me get into um, to uh, run a marathon because I, I, you know, I see that people have the nice little trophies and stuff and it's a mental challenge. And so I did that in, in, in uh, New York City and then uh, that I did it in San Francisco. And then I wanted to do the hundredth anniversary of the marathon. And so I did Athens and it really was, uh, and, and, you know, it, uh, people don't know that, that it was from marathon to Athens where the story started. And so, um, uh, so it really was very, very cool. And so I, you know, those challenges, and, and I think that's part of the thing too, is that so often people who are struggling, you know, um, they need some challenges in life and are looking for challenges. And, and we need to really kind of help people have challenges, your own business, to get a, get a job and so on, you know, that, that you like. And so if we can, in these zones, can really start to help people, you know, really live their best life, then we can, we can change society. So when, you, when you're out here, you're talking to kids uh, that will listen to this or, or people that will listen to these shows, give me some of the key factors, because I know as an athlete, when I hit the ground running in the morning, I got to make my bed, I got to do the things I need to do to be successful mentally. But when my feet hit that ground, I want to be, I mean, I'm like, let's, let's go. It's, it's game time, right? So I'm sure you got a little bit in here. So you might not sleep a lot at night. Uh, you know, you might have a pad beside your bed and you might get up every morning. So what, what is your world like mentally? Because, you know, Warden, Princeton, 
all these other degrees you may you have, whatever, very successful. But give give somebody the idea how how do you how do you do it and what do you what's your regimen today to be successful? Because you know I'm sure you don't sleep. Well, well, I, I you know I get up early, you know I get up early no matter what time I go to bed. You get up early, and and that's when I write. So I like I've written six books, and one of the things one I think everybody should write their autobiography, not necessarily for publication, but when you start to write your autobiography, you learn a lot about yourself. There's so many stories you forget. And you start putting it down. And so you do that. But the, the, the key to writing a book, and I know you both know, is not to write, say, okay, I'm gonna, I have four hours. Is it you do a half hour a day. Mm -hmm. so every morning I'm writing a half, and I stop before I'm ready. So I'm hungry to do it the next day. If you try to write four hours, you get burnt out shortly, and you don't do it. So every morning I start writing, because that's when I'm, I get dumber as the day goes on. Like I'm a blithering idiot. <laughs> so, you know, the more I eat, the dumber I get. But but you start, you know, this is 30 minutes. And when I write, things come together. Now, again, I, you know, I, I'm a United Methodist and spiritual. And, and, you know, sometimes I just, you know, just like write. I just kind of write. And I sent you an article. This article just came out, thanks to Glenn Best, is on, on the group of nations. This is the G7 and the G20, the, 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 the presidents of the largest countries in the world. That article is on entrepreneur zones and ending poverty with entrepreneurship is there. I woke up on Sunday and I was just inspired. I just started writing it on my, my, as you said, Ralph, paper, piece of paper by the bed. And then I typed it up and I sent it to him on Tuesday and he published it that day. And so, yeah, wow. you know, but, but if you're focused on other people, the other thing that I think it's important is that too often people are focused on themselves. Focus, so focused on themselves that you get depressed and, and you can focus on, on being better, but being better for a reason, being better to be a role model being better to, 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 to uh, accomplish something, being better to help people. And so if you do that, that is one of the keys to success is really not thinking about me. You know, the second you start believing your resume, you're in trouble. Yeah. So I, I, I have to remind myself that every, you know, every now and then. You know, Aaron Rodgers said in an interview, I heard uh, the great quarterback at Green Bay, and uh, he was talking about highly successful people. And just what your comments, uh, doctor, were, but, but Aaron said, he asked himself, what am I going to do today that's epic? Mm -hmm. It's the first question he asks himself every day when he gets up. What am I going to do today that's epic? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I, I, I ask myself, um, you know, my biggest fear is that the world won't be any better when I'm gone. You know, my, my biggest fear, why, why, why am I here? I could hang out and party and do this stuff and then go and the world's no different. And that's, that's what drives me. And so that's part of this idea. One of the things that I tell folks is that when you're 90 and you look back on your life, what's your legacy? You know, why did you live? Who have you helped? How have you set things, you know, how have you set things forward? And, and when you live that way, it's like, I'm never unhappy. I mean, I'm really never depressed. Sometimes I, you know, I'm challenged. I have a lot of work. I'm stressed, but you know, I, it's a, it's a blessing to be alive. It's a blessing to have an opportunity to impact other people's lives. And that keeps me energized. It really does. Yeah, I mean, it does the same for me as well. And a good question because I have one. What is your legacy? Well, I mean, what, I mean, when you look back now, but you're like, you, you got to get more. You know, every day you get up, you got to get more. You got to add more to it. So, what do you think your legacy will be? Well, I, I'm, and, and this is why I'm so so pumped up on Entrepreneur Zones, which really just came to me recently, is that I want to I want to set up a, a foot a strategy to help reduce systemic poverty around the world. So, so this idea of entrepreneur zones, this idea of, of, of really doing what we're talking about, of empowering local communities, getting people excited about local communities and people beyond themselves, that I think can be, can be a legacy that, 
that really helps people. And, and I want to give people the tools uh, around that. And so, so, and I'm using the influence model to actually do this. So, uh, you know, so it's not just talking about it in the book, but really this idea of a strategy to influence people to do the right thing. And, and as I said, people are good. And if you can influence people to do so many bad things as so many horrible leaders have done, we can influence people to do, do good and think beyond themselves to make this world a better place. Dr. Caldwell, are you running in 24? I'm just... Mac can be honest. So, you know, the reality is, it's very hard, even if the best pres person in the world were president, it's very hard to make a difference because you have so many people, you know, you can have the best idea, but they'll sideline you on something else. Right. So, and I'm not, you know, my thing is I don't, you know, I, I, I try to stay as apolitical as, as possible, certainly with these entrepreneur zones. And one of the reasons that really encouraged me is that I wrote an article about these entrepreneur zones. And it's the first thing I saw that both very conservative and very liberal people agreed to. They agreed that entrepreneurship in urban communities is good, both sides. So if I have something that I can get everybody to agree to, maybe it's maybe it's gold. Maybe it's something that'll work. Yeah. So I, when you get it, call me. I want entrepreneur zone in my hometown. I see it working right now with the co-op, the food, the the, 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 the just a small town community. It can work there for sure. It, it really can. And I'm going to take you up on that. We're going to make Absolutely. it happen. We're going to make it happen. Maybe Doctor, enough. we can't thank you enough. Wow, what a what a great lesson. I'm, I want to get this right now. Credibility, creativity, connection. Okay, connection. I want to make sure I, uh, I was writing them down real fast. So I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Doctor, thank you so much. And and all the best and good luck with your books and your latest one. And then, and then Mac, where, where, where can we get the book from? Yeah, you can Amazon. get it on Amazon, right? Amazon, okay. Amazon.com, you can do it. Perfect. Intelligent Influence, The Four Steps of Highly Successful Leaders and Organizations. And I'm sorry that Dr. Caldwell doesn't have much energy. When he, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll we can talk for hours, Mac. We can talk for hours. It's good. Doctor, thank you so much. Well, this is an honor, Mac and Ralph, and thank you so much. And, and I will promote this show. What a, great, what a great show. It's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network with Ralph Sampson. We'll be right back. To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. 
Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network, and it is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uh, Ralph, just during the break, pondering Dr. Caldwell and all the great things he said. Again, his book, available on Amazon, Intelligent Influence, The Four Steps of Highly Successful Leaders and Organizations. And before we go, I don't want to forget, for more content and information on Center Court, you can follow us on Center Court Podcast 50 and Ralph Sampson 50 on all social media platforms. You know, Stick, in talking about great influencers and really all that we are influenced as a young age. My dad was a musician. I love music. He was very adamant about treating people fairly, and he influenced me in that category as well. And I know you've had, and really it's a compliment to you and your foundation, because you've had a lot of influence on not only athletes, but kids. Get the, get the degree, go to school, do all the right things. And really, you probably followed Dr. Caldwell's words without even knowing it because you've been a heck of an influencer yourself. Well, you don't, you know, Mac, you don't realize it until somebody like, as he said, being creative and connected and, and, and all the stuff he said was very impactful because you don't realize what you're doing. You're just motivated to do it because you were taught by great people. You know, Roger Berge, you know, Harrisonburg High School, Coach mm-hmm. Terry Holland, all the coaches that I've had, and even in the little leagues growing up. When I didn't like playing basketball and had to score 16 points and you can't, can't score anymore and it was boring for me. But we had these guys that push you no matter what. And they were, you know, friends, they were community people. Just like you said, these entrepreneur zones, it was more of a community then than it is today. So very, very impactful uh, guy. I mean, you see the energy, you see the, you know, his excitement. I mean, I, I don't know how, how he sleeps. <laughs> and you know, being educated at that level with all the things he's done, and he still wants more. So that's very, very impactful to me, for sure. Well, when he said something like, write your, he thinks everybody should write their own autobiography. And yeah. I wrote th- three, four years ago, seven chapters and stopped mm. because of, of, you know, I went through, you know, I met Ralph Sampson and the Bill Russells, and I spent a day with Geraldo Rivera and Muhammad Ali. And I've got all these stories that I thought maybe that I could share that I really want my grandkids at some day, someday to read. But I stopped thinking, who, want, who wants to read this? Tra- this is, I mean, it's like, bo- you know, I, yeah. I got bored with it, but now I think he's fired, you know, fired me. Yeah, motivated a little bit. Yeah, because maybe somewhere along the line, somebody, you know, one of three people that buy the book, they read, they read it and they go, oh, Maybe I'll try to follow Mac's footsteps with his belief in, in ABC, whatever, whatever it might be. So, but it's like you, you are really doing a lot for the community and people. And like what we tried to do when I was in Charlottesville, working for the children's hospital, mm-hmm. because, you know, cancer is a big thing. And I, and, and pediatric cancer was a, a big thing in my life. And so the, yeah, the ability to influence people to, Hey, get on board with us yeah. and contribute. And again, that's across the board. Get on board with the Samson Foundation. And I'm, this isn't a sales pitch. I'm just, but get on board with the Family Foundation and we'll show you what we are doing and what we are about. And I yeah, think okay. if, you, if you follow Ralph, Dr. Caldwell's uh, input and what he said today, I mean, I think, and I just love what he said about Tom Brady. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. just to be a sit and feel it. I mean, a tennis player. Just to see, you know, his opinion about Tom Brady and be to see it and evaluate it like he does, it 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 is discredit to Tom Brady again as somebody else like Dr. Carl was seeing it, and he can talk about it and understand it as well. Yeah. He's not even close to it. 
We're not close to it. Well, I don't know. Ask me to run through a wall today, Ralph. I probably yeah, you might. I mean, I'll go back there as a guy that will have actually a neighbor's family. But somebody recruited me named Fred Snowden. He was one of the Arizona coaches, one of the first African-American coaches in the country. Uh-huh. And they're doing a document. So I know he I talked to his family a little bit. And he wrote his autobiography and put it in a, in, in a file. They just found it. And so, wow. I mean, but, you know, he passed away suddenly uh, you know, with a heart attack a number of years ago. But great family. Uh, you know, I mean, so we'll get that story as well, but I can remember him recruiting me and uh, being very, very, very rambunctious and, and proud to be who he was. And so stories like that, I, I start to resonate with now. Yeah, great stuff. Ralph, thank you so much. I hope you have a good week. I know uh, I'm going to have a better one, I think. And be sure and find the book, Intelligent Influence, The Four Steps of Highly Successful Leaders and Organizations, one of six that Dr. Caldwell has written. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald at Center Court on the Winner Circle Network. Have a great week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.